Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up a Bible to Genesis chapter 2, that's where we're going to begin in just a moment. Genesis, the second chapter. Read some probably somewhat familiar verses there in just a moment to get us started in this um, second session for Saturday evening. Got another good crowd in attendance. I don't know that we we lost anybody from the first session, but I know that we gained a few folks. So, so glad that you chose to be here on a Saturday night. I know that there's lots of other things that you could be doing, lots of good things that you could be doing. There's, there's a Kentucky basketball game going on right now that I could be watching, but I'm much more glad to be here and to get to sing these good songs. I'd have been fine if we just kept singing all night long, but thank you so much for being here and for taking part in what we're trying to do this weekend. I know that I was informed that there's lots of folks that are visiting with us uh, tonight, and you may have obligations at your home congregation uh, tomorrow, but if you do decide to just stay over here with us, we promise we'll not tell on you. We'll be glad to have you, and we'll welcome you with open arms, because we will continue to talk about uh, the things that we've started already uh, this afternoon on God's how-to guide for life. In Second Timothy, the third chapter, Paul speaks about the value of Scripture And amongst the things that he says Scripture does is that thing there at the end, that it helps make us men and women who are complete. The old translations, I think, use the word perfect, but the idea there is complete and whole, and it equips us for every good work. What that means, just maybe in a practical sort of way, is that this book really does serve as a how-to guide for the things that we need to do, the things that we ought to be, and the various things that we encounter in life as we try to figure our way throughout life. And especially to our young people. Our young people are at a time and an age in their lives when they're trying to piece things together and figure some things out and determine their course of life and want to do that in the exact right way. And the Bible is where we want to go for those kinds of answers. Certainly there's lots of other helps out there, but none of them begin to compare to the wonderful wisdom and just the, the, the perfect instruction that is provided in the Word of God. And that's just what we want to focus our hearts and our minds on yet again this evening. I'm going to preface this evening's lesson. Greg's already let the cat out of the bag as to what tonight's lesson is about. But I will preface this by saying, the one previous time that I preached this lesson, there was a young couple in the audience who had been dating for about six or seven years. A week after hearing this sermon... They were no longer a couple. And there was good reason for that. And you'll maybe see why that is as we work throughout the course of the lesson tonight. Let's start all of that in Genesis, the second chapter. I'm reading here beginning in verse 21. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 21, the Bible says there that the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, that's Adam. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, this is the Lord's words now. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Everybody, I would imagine, has heard of the idea of a match made in heaven. And I would guess that what we just read right here in Genesis chapter 2 is about as close to that as we could possibly get. This is God literally creating a wife for Adam. And this is that first marriage. This is that first home right there in the Garden of Paradise. I do think that many people today are interested 
in that kind of thing. In fact, many young people are looking for that kind of thing, that kind of a match made in heaven, so to speak. But let's be honest, it's not nearly as easy for us as it was for Adam. Adam had his wife presented to him by God himself. In fact, the rise of dating websites like Match.com and eHarmony.com, even those apps like Tinder, I think those things attest to the fact that people are looking and they are trying, trying desperately to find that right person. All sorts of personal ads are run to try to reach people. Ads are put on Craigslist still, even in newspapers still. I stumbled across a couple of these ads the other day. They kind of caught my attention. This one was from a fella. He said, single white male, 40, seeks life mate to help dig foxholes, make bombs, clean and load machine guns, stitch flesh, because Armageddon won't be any fun to face alone. Brother Monty, that almost sounds like something you would write. I don't know. That's just kind of really out there. Or what about this one right here? Female mother of one seeking a certain caliber of man. He must be sane, sober, sincere, and he must be born on October the 25th, October the 29th, November the 2nd, November the 11th, or November the 20th, in the year 1958. No exceptions. Wow. Wow. It's good to know what you want, but I think that lady's kind of limiting her options there. What do you say? People are looking. People are looking everywhere to try and find that right person. They're looking for that right match that they can, they can date, they can get to know, they can marry, and ultimately they can live happily ever after. And young people indeed are very concerned with finding that special person. Sometimes people even speak in terms of finding their soulmate. Well, I don't know a whole lot about soulmates. And I'm really not even entirely comfortable with this idea of a match made in heaven, at least for any of us. But I do know a little something about the Bible. And I do, in fact, believe that the Bible can help us here. I believe the Bible can give us the how-to and the direction that we need in seeking and finding that right person. In fact, what the Bible is going to do for us this evening is it's going to help to develop for us three important questions that I believe each and every one of you need to ask before you get married. In fact, if you will ask and answer these three questions and you'll use these as the criteria, as the standard for deciding who you will marry, then I believe you can, in fact, have a marriage that is top-notch, a marriage that is God-honoring, And a marriage that ultimately goes the distance. You can do a whole lot better than personal ads. You can find someone who understands what you are all about. Understand from the Word of God what God wants. And I think you can get that when you use these three questions as your guideline. I do believe there will be things here tonight for really for everybody. We've got folks in the audience who are already married. Some of you have been married for a very long time. We'll talk about some things that will be applicable to married folks. But of course mostly this evening. I'm talking specifically to young people, people who are looking down the stream of time. Some of you are maybe closer to that time than others, but you're looking ahead and you're trying to think in a godly sort of way about that mate, that spouse that would be the right person for you. Are you ready to talk about that tonight? Let's begin by asking this very first question. I believe this is where probably it needs to start if we're going to talk about who's the right person to marry. Number one, we need to start by asking ourselves the question, What do I think about marriage? 
How do I view marriage? What is my attitude toward marriage? Since you're here in Genesis already, let's just, let's just go back to page 1. Look in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, you will notice consistently that as God is creating the universe, the physical universe, there's a consistent theme throughout. In Genesis chapter 1, look in verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Drop down to verse 10. There we're told as well, God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called the seas and God saw that it was good. Verse 17 now. God set them in the expanse. Talk about the stars. Set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. To rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Over and over again we see God looks down at His handiwork and He sees that what He has created, it is good. But then we come to chapter 2, and there's a little bit of a hiccup, seemingly. Chapter 2, verse 18 now. Chapter 2, 18, Then the Lord God said, speaking of man that he had created, It is not good that man should be alone. In all of the goodness that was made, all of the, the, the perfectness of what God had created, the one thing that was not good in the beginning was man being by himself. What was God's answer to that? God's answer to that was the verses we began with a little bit earlier. God's answer to that was marriage. Marriage, even though the text doesn't specifically say it, I believe we can safely assume marriage was designed once again as a good thing. A very good thing. And so that's why I want to start right with this first question. As you think about getting married one day, you need to ask yourself, do I see marriage as a good thing? How do I feel about that? Do I see that as being a blessing, a gift given by God? The reason I say that we need to start with that is because we live in a society, we live in a culture that is very much down on marriage. Our society is very negative toward marriage. You know, you turn on the television and you watch TV shows and there's couples and what are they doing on the show? Just fussing and fighting, arguing all the time. The things that we see depicted in the media and on the internet and things of that nature. All of that just says to me that the world that we live in today thinks of marriage as just, just not all that great. I find it really interesting that in our society today that it seems like the only people who are really, really positive about marriage, who really, really want to get married, are the people in the LGBT community. Meanwhile, over here, all the heterosexuals, we're all running marriage down. And we're talking about how awful it is and how it's just so broken. And we make all those little jokes and those little digs and those little cuts at one another about the ball and chain. And, oh, man, if you get married, you're going to be whipped. And we say all of these kinds of things. And I know that we're just trying to, to have fun. But come on. What message are we sending by that? As a result of all of that, marriage is pointed out that it seemed to be almost like it's this burden. It's this big, this big yoke that we have to carry around. It's this awful, burdensome relationship. In fact, the noted singer and actress Cher, she is famous for saying, and I quote, Yes, I believe in the institution of marriage, but who wants to live in an institution? <laughs> so funny, Cher. Is that where we have arrived in our thinking? Is that how we come to think about God's design and God's creation of marriage? That it's just an institution? 
That it is just the old ball and chain that you drag around. That it's something that just, it just, t- just ties you down. Keeps you from really enjoying life. Keeps you from really living. And it just makes life miserable. I want to say to you this evening, if that is your attitude about marriage, don't get married. You will be starting off on the worst possible foot if that's how you think about marriage. Because what God established all the way in the beginning in the Garden of Eden, it was designed to be good. It was designed to be fulfilling. It was designed to be enriching. It was designed to be something that meets the deepest needs for human companionship and for love and for affection. And so before I get married, I need to start by asking myself, what do I think about marriage? Do I see that as being a blessing from the Lord? And will that be a blessing for me and for the life of my spouse? Do I think about marriage the way that God thinks about marriage? You need to think about that. You need to spend some time reading what the Bible says about marriage. You need to get your thinking on the same page as the Lord about marriage because your approach to marriage, your expectations in marriage, that's going to play a huge role in whether or not that's going to be successful. As we're doing that, we need to ask this second question of ourselves. And that is, am I looking for someone with spiritual character? I think this probably is the most important of these three questions, and so I'm going to spend the most time right here on number two. I believe this right here matters more than anything else that I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm afraid that whenever we start talking about this part of marriage, what happens is is we get lost in the big long debate about do you have to marry a Christian? People ask that question all the time. People come to preachers and ask that question. Do you have to marry a Christian? Is it sinful if you don't marry a Christian? I believe that's the wrong question. I don't believe that's the question that we need to be asking. Because I have known, and I would guess that you probably have known, people who married someone whose name was in a church directory, they attended at a local congregation, a local church of Christ, Maybe even they participated in the service. The young man waited on the Lord's table. Or the young lady, maybe she helped in Bible class from time to time. They were on the roll. They were officially and technically members of the body of Christ. And yet that marriage was filled with all kinds of strife and all kinds of problems. Why? Because that person, while they were a Christian, they did not have real spiritual character. He or she was just a Christian in name only. And so that's why tonight I'm not asking, are you looking for someone who goes to church? That's not what I'm asking. And I'm not asking, are you looking for someone who has been baptized? That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you this evening about something much deeper. I'm asking you about that person's heart. Are you looking for a person who has a heart for God? Do they care about the Lord? Are they interested in His Word? Do they devote themselves, wanting and seeking, to live God's way? Look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is, I would imagine, kind of the go-to text when we're talking about marriage as God would have it. And indeed, this is a great passage to do that. So much that's said here in this passage about the roles and the responsibilities that God has placed upon men and women. This is a very familiar text, but Ephesians 5 is a description of marriage as God would have it. I'd like for us, though, this evening to read these verses 
through the lens of someone who is seeking an individual with spiritual character. I'm looking to find someone who does these things. For example, gentlemen, I want to find, verse 22, I want to find a wife who will submit to me her husband as to the Lord. Ladies, I want to find a husband who is the head of me, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church comes to Christ, so also wives, gentlemen, I'm looking for a wife who will submit to me in everything as her husband. Verse 25, ladies, I'm looking for a man who will love me as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, sanctify her, washing of water with the word, present the church to him, or any thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, so ladies, I'm looking for a husband who's going to love me, his wife, as himself. For no one's ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes. I'm looking for someone who will nourish me and cherish me just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Verse 31, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. Hey, here's Genesis chapter 2 again. Hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Ladies, am I looking for a man who loves me as himself? And then husbands, am I looking for a wife who respects me as her husband? Now I find that to be a very powerful way of looking at that set of verses. That passage describes what marriage ought to be. And what we ought to be looking for in marriage. It describes people, as you notice in those verses, it's describing people with with spiritual character. People who are seeking after the things of the Lord. It's talking about people here who care about their relationship with Christ first and foremost. And when you have people who care about their relationship with Christ doing what the Lord says to do, then what Ephesians 5 becomes is the very best plan, the very best model, the very best blueprint for how a home ought to be. If you do Ephesians 5 in your home, I would dare say you get to go to heaven at the end. Is that a fair thing to say? You do Ephesians 5 in your home, you get to go to heaven in the end. That's a pretty great ending, but it's not just about the ending. You do Ephesians chapter 5, and it'll provide you the very best possible life now. The very best possible marriage now, while you're here on this earth. Because God's plan, surprise, surprise, it works. It just flat works. It defines our roles. It defines our responsibilities. It sets our expectations for that relationship. Ephesians 5, very much, it is the roadmap to wedded bliss. Now, all of us in this room, I would suspect, we all look at that and we say, yep, that's that's right. That's exactly right, Brother Josh. That's God's plan. And you know what? I'm going to do that in my marriage. Okay, that's great. But let me ask you this. Are you finding someone else who's going to do that with you? I'm glad that you want to do that. Are you seeking to find someone else who's going to do that right alongside you? Are you looking for someone who wants to work God's plan in their life? Girls, 
If you are seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, don't you want to marry a guy who is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Fellas, if you are seeking to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, don't you want to find a gal who is seeking as well to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do you see what we're talking about here? We're talking here about a whole lot more than, well, has he or she been baptized? Listen, that's good. Baptism is really important. But you need to ask an even deeper question than that. Does he or she have spiritual character, a heart for the Lord? Now, what happens when you don't do that? What happens when you don't seek someone who has spiritual character? I can show you that. In fact, we've already looked at that verse in the first session. Look at Judges 14 again. In Judges 14, for the benefit of those of you who weren't here during the first session, in Judges chapter 14, we meet a fellow here who had a lot going for him, muscular, chiseled out of granite, probably you know, long flowing hair, probably a good looking sort of fella, had lots going for him, had all kinds of great things, but it seems, seems as if he didn't have a whole lot of great character himself. And as a result, this fellow Samson always seemed to struggle with women. Like, for example, right here in Judges 14, verse 1, what was Samson seeking? Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. I've seen that. I've seen that play out before my very eyes. I have seen good, godly young men who seem to just be so full of potential who should have been spiritual giants for the Lord, who then got interested in a Philistine-type woman, and they ended up marrying a Delilah, and the next thing you know, that good, godly young man is now living like a Philistine himself. That's the story of Samson. And what happened? What happened was he adopted the values of his wife, who had no spiritual character, And apparently he didn't have as much spiritual character to begin with as we first thought. And so now neither one of them are doing right. Please do not rationalize. Please do not say things to yourself like, well, I'll I'll convert him. I will. Or, or, you know, she's just so good in so many other ways and I'm going to teach her. And I'm going to help her to obey the gospel. I'm going to make sure that she's baptized one of these days. Listen to me very carefully. Marriage is not an evangelism project. Can I say that again? Marriage is not an evangelism project. Yes, I do realize that some people do become Christians thanks to the efforts of a godly spouse. 1 Peter 3 talks about that. Praise God that we have cases like that. There's probably people sitting in this room that that probably is their story. But I'm going to say to you again, there is no place in Scripture where Jesus says, go ye into all the world, find an unbeliever, marry him or her, because that will result in a conversion. No, it may not. Marriage is supposed to be the union of two people who are pointed in the same direction, who are pulling together. They're working together. They want the same things out of life. They want that Ephesians 5 thing. How in the world is that ever going to work? If one of those parties, at the very least, is indifferent to that quest, and so they're not really moving forward, or maybe even worse, what's going to happen if that other party is pulling in the other direction? That isn't going to work. 
You know, Jewish rabbis, they had a saying, maybe they still have this saying, a fish and a bird can get married, but where are they going to live? That's exactly right. There's no law that prohibits a fish and a bird from getting married, but they're going to have a tough time getting along together and working together, aren't they? I need to think about that, don't I? Am I looking for someone who wants to live according to the Word of God? My father, Danny McKibben, he is not one to dispense with lots of advice. That just was never his M.O. But in an indirect way, one of the things, one of the greatest pieces of advice that he ever gave to me and to my brothers at a very young age is that you need to marry someone who's going to help you to go to heaven. That's so simple, and yet it is so profound. And that is what Ephesians chapter 5 is describing for us. And yes, that does mean that that person is going to be somewhere on Sunday morning. Of course, that's kind of a no-brainer. But listen to me, young people. It also means a whole lot more than just where they go to church. It means that that person, that boy, that girl, they have a heart for the Lord. What are you looking for? Understand very clearly that you will find what you are looking for. The question is, are you looking for the right thing? Physical appearance, that seems to be what Samson was all about. Money, sense of humor, similar interests and hobbies. All of that may play a factor in there somewhere. But it's not the most important factor. Are you looking for someone with a depth of spiritual character? All of that then brings me to this third and this final question this evening. And that is, I need to ask myself, do I realize that I will be marrying a sinner? I'm not a huge fan of the way that Hollywood depicts marriage, the sitcoms or in the movies. Just not a real big fan of how they depict husbands and wives and people that are in these relationships because all too often those characters are presented as being just so, so perfect. Not only are they physically beautiful, not only are they seemingly physically perfect, but they also seem to have just everything going for them as it pertains to their character. They just, I mean, they've just got it all going on, got a good job, and everything's all set up as far as that goes. They're family people, and they've just got so much going for them. Man, they just, just, it's just, it's that match made in heaven. And so here's the female lead in the movie. And so not only is she beautiful and attractive outwardly, but on top of that, she's so respectful, and she's a hard worker, and she's submissive. She never nags her husband about how much football he's watching. And then here's the male lead. Well, what's he like? Well, once again, he, he's beautiful. Looks like he's been chiseled out of granite. He's kind. He's sensitive. He's in touch with his feelings. He probably even likes mowing the yard. Gross. I don't like doing that. And so we watch all of that. We see, oh man, this is this perfect woman and this perfect man. And the next thing you know, what happens is, is we're looking for Mr. Perfect. Or we're looking for Mrs. Perfect. We're looking for someone just like what we see in the screen because they're so amazing. They're the complete package. They've got it all. They look good. They are good on the outside and on the inside. They're just perfect. The Bible will tell you something about that. You know what the Bible will tell you about that? The Bible will tell you that those people don't exist. They cannot be found. Look at Romans the third chapter with me. In Romans chapter 3, 
Paul says something here that it's, this is a well-known verse, but it's a verse that I wonder if you've ever thought about as having direct application to marriage. And it most certainly does apply. In Romans 3 and in verse 23, there the Bible says, and probably many of you just can quote this from memory, Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What's that verse saying? That verse affirms nobody's perfect. You cannot find anybody on this earth who is perfect in every way. The person that you marry will have flaws. They will have failings. They will have shortcomings. The person that you marry, dare I say it, they will be a sinner. And guess what? So will you. You'll be a sinner. We are all sinners, Romans 3 says. There's not a one of us who is perfect. We harbor within our lives and in our hearts selfishness and pride and a desire to gratify ourselves and do what I want to do. We have the capacity, each and every one of us does, to let that sin out at any time. And when that does happen, that will mar any relationship. You meet somebody that you think is perfect, you stick around them long enough, you will find that Romans 3 verse 23 applies to them. And if you meet someone and they stick around you long enough, as wonderful as they think that you are, eventually they're going to figure out Romans 3.23 applies to you as well. You meet somebody the first time, you go on that first date, and I mean, we're all, we're on our P's and Q's, and we just seem to have it all together, but man, you stick around long enough, you're going to figure out all of us are broken by sin. I had a friend a couple years ago who got married, and him and his wife, they posted a video on Facebook of their, of their wedding, it was kind of a montage of their wedding ceremony. And in the ceremony, they had written their own vows to each other instead of just using the, the, the old kind of canned and cliched uh, vows, which are still good vows. They, they each wanted to write their own vows. And I, I watched that video. had some excerpts from, from his vows. And he said, I kid you not, in his vows, he said, I pledge, I pledge to meet your every need. I am promising to meet your Every need. Now I'm certain that my friend, he was very, very sincere when he said that. And I do appreciate the sentiment behind that thought. But the truth is, he's never going to get that done. He's never going to live up to that vow. He will never meet all of her needs. First and foremost, only the Lord can meet all of your needs. But even more so, that man, good of a fellow as he is, he's a sinner. Which means at some point, he's going to act selfishly. He's going to conduct himself in a selfish sort of way. And what that means is that means he's going to break that vow. He's going to fail at meeting her needs. No one is perfect. There's not a person out there who has everything that you could ever want out of a spouse. You'll never be able to find and someone who can supply everything that you're looking for. And you yourself are not going to be able to supply that to someone else. And what that just means, practically speaking, ladies, is you need to stop looking for that perfect man. He was here long ago. But he's not here anymore. You can't marry Jesus. And what that means as well, gentlemen, is you need to stop looking for that perfect woman. She hasn't ever been here. And she is nowhere to be found. Instead, what you will find as you open up your eyes and look around at the world around you is you will find 
You just find people. People who have some good traits, but also people who have bad traits. People who have some exceptional qualities and people who have some not-so-exceptional qualities. What we need to do is we need to sort through all of that and we need to seek number two. We need to seek those people who are spiritually minded. We need people who understand the reality of Romans 3 verse 23 in their life. And as a result, they are then ready and they are willing to humble themselves before the Lord and to seek His forgiveness for their sins. When you get married, you are marrying someone who's going to sin against you. You just bank on it. Hopefully it won't happen really quick. But at some point in that marriage, your partner, your spouse is going to sin against you. And that's going to hurt. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to be enjoyable. It's going to cause a rift in that marriage. And by sinning against you, that means as well they're going to be sinning against the Lord. And that means at that point, they are going to be, need to be, well in practice of this business of saying, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. I did wrong. I am so sorry. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I want to change that. I want to do what's right. I want to be better. And you better be ready to do that very same thing as well. That understanding, that ability to ask for and to extend forgiveness because we realize that both of us in this relationship, both of us are sinners, that will cause that marriage to blossom and to be able to grow in the direction of heaven. And it will enable you to overcome the various hiccups and problems and differences that every single marriage does experience. You ask any of the folks here who are married, those who seem to just have the the happiest, most wonderfulest marriages you know, they'll tell you, it's not always gumdrops and rainbows and teddy bears and lollipops, is it? There's going to be problems. But it's possible to work through that stuff. When you have two people who have the mind that says, we're not what we ought to be, But with God's help, we can be more of what we should be. And so rather than seeking for perfection, you need to just simply marry someone who knows who you are. A sinner. And yet they choose to love you anyway. Now, when you look at those three very simple questions, but it covers a very broad spectrum, doesn't it? When you look at that, as we talk here about who to marry, finding the right person, really the key here is not so much finding the right person. Really the key here is to be the right person. Isn't that the key? You ever read the story of Ruth before? How Ruth and Boaz come together? I don't even really think it's so much they were looking for each other. I think it's they were both just being the right person. And in God's providence, He saw that those two people were brought together. That's what it's about. Because by being the right person, you're able to then send out certain signals. Signals that will then attract the right kind of people. Those are the kinds of signals that say, I take marriage seriously. I believe it's a good thing. I believe it is a blessing from the Lord. I believe it's a gift from God and needs to be treasured and held highly. I have spiritual character, seeking to develop spiritual character. And I want somebody who's seeking those same things as well. And I recognize thirdly that I am a sinner and I am in need of God's grace and I'm in need of God's forgiveness. And I want someone who despite all of that, they will love me and they will help me to overcome my sins so that we both can go to heaven someday. Now as we extend the invitation of the Lord, 
But using a songbook, turning it to the song that's been selected. We've talked so much this evening about the idea of this match made in heaven, a heavenly union. Let me tell you about a heavenly union that needs to take place right now if you're not a child of God. And that is you being united with Christ in the waters of baptism. That's a beautiful relationship. When you are joined to the Lord, that you are put in Him. So many times the New Testament talks about being in Christ, in Him. That's where all spiritual blessings are found. The blessing of heaven and all the other blessings that go along with that here in this life and on this earth. Don't you want that? If you're outside of Christ, what, 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 are, you, what are you waiting on? What's the hold up? Is there something we could talk about? I'd be glad to talk to you. I'd be glad to just we'll go off to ourselves and sit down with a Bible. Let's just see, let's just see what those hang-ups are. There's no reason to delay any longer. You understand who Jesus is. You understand sin in your own life. You understand your need for a Savior from your sin, and that Savior is Jesus. If you're ready to repent and put sin out of your life, ready to confess His name before others this evening and really throughout the remainder of your life, then it would just be our privilege to baptize you into Christ so that you can be joined to Him. And not only when you get joined to Jesus, but you also then get united with all kinds of other people. You get a new family, brothers and sisters in the Lord. You can truly know God as your Father, your Heavenly Father. You can really know the depths of that. Can we help you to become a Christian this evening? Why why wait any longer? This is a wonderful opportunity. I'm going to assume... There's water right there. I'm assuming there's garments back here, people who are ready to assist. Let's do that. Let's do that tonight. Let's do that while we stand and while we sing.